0: Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I ask you to join me in Jonah chapter 2 this morning. I think the Lord has something very, very special. Uh, for us as a church today, as we look into Jonah chapter two, and uh, for those of you who haven't been here the last few weeks, we are working through the book of Jonah. <clears throat> and uh, Jonah is a, a very, very interesting book. I, I, we won't have time to recap everything, and I, I don't even intend to do that. Uh, but we're just going to go ahead and, and dive right in. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'll go ahead and laugh so you'll know it should be funny. And when you think, okay, so those of you who don't go here regularly, if you think it's funny, just go ahead and laugh, okay? It might help people around you to laugh a little bit. Because if it sounded funny, I probably meant it to be funny. But if you have to tell people, maybe it's not, all right? So, yeah, yeah, dive in. Get it, Jonah, dive in chapter 2. Come on, come on. It's not it's not rocket science. All right, Who is this fishy guy up here? All right, so... Uh, one of the things that I want you to to when to, I'm going to go back and read all of it, but when we when we first get started in Jonah, the Lord came to Jonah and and said to Jonah, "I want you to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to preach against their sin because it has come up before me." And this is very important because God is speaking directly to Jonah verbally. He's hearing it, he's processing it, and rather than responding verbally back to the Lord, which is what we would expect, there to be some sort of a negotiation, Jonah literally runs away, and he runs down to Joppa, he runs down to the harbor, he gets on a boat, and he flees, it says, "From the presence of God." This is the, the primary objective of Jonah is to flee the presence of God." And he's a prophet. While he's on this boat, fleeing the presence of God, the, the, he goes down and he sleeps in his depression, hoping that maybe when he wakes up he'll feel better or the situation will be over, like many of us do. And he goes down into the hole of the ship and this straight storm comes and uh, this, uh, sailors even get afraid. They start throwing the cargo over. The captain comes down to Jonah and says, Hey, I, we've prayed to all of our gods. I don't know who your God is, but you need to be praying to him. Jonah doesn't pray. Jonah gets back up on the top of the ship and he starts negotiating. Jay say, Who are you? Where you come from? Jonah says, Well, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew, and I worship God. Do you, Jonah? Because you didn't, you didn't talk to the Lord when the Lord talked to you, you ran. And now the captain of the, a pagan captain of a ship asked you to pray for them, and you didn't pray, and you haven't worshiped yet. Sometimes we like to call ourselves something that we're not really. We like to call ourselves Christian. We like to call ourselves worshipers. But I wonder sometimes if that's what God would call us. We even call ourselves prayers. Jonah certainly would have. So they throw Jonah, they, they offer him mercy... Maybe, Jonah, no, we're not going to throw you over the boat. Let's get rid of all the cargo. We'll see if that settles things down. It doesn't. They draw straws. Jonah loses. We all know that. Jonah gets thrown over the side of the ship. And immediately, now this is really interesting. I just found that this reading, reading through Jonah for, for preparation of this, is that these, these sailors are terrified of the storm. And they're sailors. I mean, they're professional storm guys and 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 the storm scares them so much they throw Jonah over the ship over the side of the ship and immediately the wind ceases and it says they were greatly terrified they were more afraid of the peace than they were of the storm because the storm they could explain the peace they couldn't i think that's pretty powerful and it says because of that fear which you know the Scriptures say all the way through, it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the fear of the storm is the beginning of throwing people over the ship. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's when it says that they begin to make sacrifices unto the Lord and they called out to Jonah's God's name. Different kind of fear. So Jonah, the Bible says in the last, the last verse of chapter 1, that God had prepared a great fish. Now, very quickly, maybe you say, well, that's, you know, that's a fairy tale and all that sort of stuff. I don't want to really get wrapped up in that. The, the fish is literally in a couple of verses in the whole book. The, the story is not about the fish. But in Hebrew, the Hebrew word is dag. It's, it's like a, the, the old god Dagon is the god of the sea. So this dag is fish, In Hebrew means any sea-dwelling creature. So when you think of a fish, for us in English, we think of a very specific type. And you hear people arguing, well, it says fish, not a whale. And the whales are fish and mammals and all this. We're not getting into all of that, all right? It doesn't matter. Because in Hebrew, it doesn't matter. In Hebrew, it's anything that lives in the sea. So, what lives in the sea? Well, 3,000 years ago, there were things that lived in the sea that don't live in the sea now. So, I could explain it that way and say, I don't know what it was. It may even be extinct now. It also could be so miraculous that God created it specifically for this purpose, but it does live in the sea. Another thing is, it could be so huge as a mammal. Are you talking fast? (laughs) Because I'm exhausted. As a mammal, they have to take on lots of air to live underwater. And so God created some of these mammals that live in the water with these huge cavities inside their nasal cavities or inside their bodies so they could retain air and be underwater for long periods of time. It is possible that God specifically performed a miracle with a specific Creation just for this. It's also possible that God used any sea creature with these cavities available, so that a man could survive in a creature for days at a time and not be down inside of it where it's being digested. He's being digested already. But but here's the important thing. Regardless of what you think about Jonah, there's a dozen ways we could explain it. But I would never want to explain away a miracle. And I believe this story is a miracle. But the question is not, do you believe the story of Jonah? The question is, have you trusted Jesus Christ? And Jesus believed the story of Jonah. So I'm going to believe it because Jesus believed it, regardless of what I can explain or can't explain, because the fish isn't the point. The mission of God is the point. So let's get now to chapter 2. Because this fish now has Jonah. Jonah is called to be the greatest missionary to the worst nation ever. He decides to get on a boat going 2,500 miles by sea. Worst cruise ever. He goes down into the stinking sailor's vessel. Nothing captivates. Nothing brings him to a point of prayer until the fish swallows him. Until the fish swallows him. And so, listen to this in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, that word is ma'ah, which belly, is uh, it means, and this is kind of gross, but the soft inner side. It doesn't mean the stomach. It means the inside of the fish. So you think, well, he's down there. What's he doing with the gastric juices We're not worried about all that, all right? I mean, we can explain it away, but it doesn't mean he's in the stomach of the fish. It just means he's on the inside of it, all right? So don't overthink it. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then he said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped around my head. I love that. Jonah does not write, he does not have a match and a candlestick. Uh, and a journal in this fish. He's writing this much later. And I love the fact that he's thinking to himself, and I remember that stinking seaweed wrapped around my head. (laughs) And God let him put it in here. I love that. Verse 6. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Could you just for a moment think about the God of all creation? The beginning, the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the Supreme Judge, the Holy One. The One who says to us that we should be storing our treasures in heaven. Amen? Right? And, and the God that He is giving us permission to enter into His throne room at any moment. I mean, this is the God who Jonah is able to pray to. And the God that he has been neglecting to pray to for some time now. You don't just end up where Jonah is. Jonah is not faithfully serving God, and then God gives him the chance of a lifetime, and Jonah says, no, thank you, I don't want to do that. This is a, this is a slow fade from wherever Jonah was. God was giving Jonah an opportunity to be renewed by going to Assyria or to Nineveh. But Jonah has been saying no to the Lord for some time. I think about what it means for us to be able to call upon the God of the universe. The one who spoke everything into existence. Now, when we get our way, when things are going the way we want them to go, which we prefer, right? (laughs) Right? We don't typically develop a great prayer life. It's, uh, it's when things aren't going our way often. Out of our distress that we call upon the Lord. Now it's not that we are... That Jonah is anti-God. Jonah isn't anti-God. If you were to ask Jonah, in fact they said to Jonah, Who are you? He starts out by saying, I am a Hebrew, and I am a God worshiper. I mean, he identifies himself very, very clearly that he loves God. What he doesn't say is, but I'm living in disobedience to that God. It's not that he's anti-God, it's just that he is more pro-Jonah. And I really think that's the curse of at least American Christianity. It's not that we're against God. If you ask us, we'll tell you, 85% of America will tell you that they are Christians. It ain't that we're against God. It's that we are so much more pro me than I am for, for God. That's where Jonah is. So, what I would say to us is when it comes to our prayer life, especially, uh, this is not, I'm, it's easy for me to say right now, but listen to this. It's good not to get your way all the time, it's good for you to be in distress. From time to time. It's good for you to experience that sometimes because in those moments we are reminded to call out to Him. We can call and when we call, He will answer us. Jonah called out to the Lord after he had just said, Forget you God, I don't care about the people that you care about. I don't care about the coming Messiah's redemption for the world. I don't care that every family on the planet should be blessed by my family. I don't care about any of those covenants. I only care about myself. But when Jonah realized that he wasn't getting his way, in his distress, I cried out to the Lord. And He answered me. I want you to write above the word distress. Circle it in your Bible. And and right above it, the word sarah, okay? This is T-sarah, T-sarah, okay, with an H at the end. It's a Hebrew word. It's very, very important. These Hebrew was written, just like Greek, uh, in many ways. uh, There are word pictures. So every word has like a a picture to go along with it. And this word is one of those. It's a very, very specific word. Uh, The word was used uh, uh, when a woman was giving birth. Okay, so, you know, it's not... uh, Well, we won't get into that. But, when a woman is given birth, it's talking about the, the pressure, the tension, the distress. It means the travail of childbirth, the distresses of labor, the tension as if someone is, well, experiencing the pain of childbirth. So you see, Jonah is inside... He doesn't feel the pressure, the tension outside. But he's inside the belly of the fish and he's using a word that means ringing out. In fact, this word is not native to Hebrew. It's actually an ancient Canaanite word that the Hebrews dealing with the Canaanites for generations adopted some of their language. This is one of the words they adopted, Sarah. It, uh, it actually, the Canaanites originated this word and it means to go out. So you go out to a pomegranate tree, right? You following me? You peel off some of the bark and you, you squeeze the bark of the pomegranate tree until there is pomegranate bark oil that comes out. And they believed that pomegranate bark oil would, call, would uh, cure some uh, gastro issues. All right. So the Hebrews were so impressed with this, they adopted the wringing out of the pomegranate bark oil into the idea of, some of you ladies will appreciate this, to childbirth. <laughs> uh, the, the ringing out, the, the, the pressure of bringing, bringing something to be that is born out of trouble, distress, pressure, tension, travail. And a very interesting word that Jonah uses here because he sees himself in the belly of the fish being wrung out where there would be nothing left. So Jonah, I, I, maybe this is where we get this, but Jonah feels the squeeze from the Lord. Okay. So look at the next part of the verse. He said, From the depths of Sheol, some of your translations say Sheol, Some of your translations say hell. Some of your translations says the grave. And some of your translations might even say Hades. So let me stop for a moment and say that all of those words are exactly right on. Sheol is a Hebrew word. Hades is a Greek word meaning the same thing. Hell is an English word. They all mean the grave. It's a place of the dead. In the Old Testament, before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there seems to be two compartments of hell. One compartment is a place of a paradise, Abraham's bosom, where Jesus says to the thief on the side of the day, you will be with me in paradise. We talk about Abraham's uh, bosom there as well with the, the rich man and Lazarus, and they're, and they're there. And one, there's a great gulf fixed between the two. But when the resurrection of Jesus Christ took place, paradise gave birth. place of torment, did not give birth. When David talks about, where can I go to escape the presence of the Lord? If I go to the heights, you are there, Lord. If I go here, if I go there. If I go to Sheol, Lord, you are there. In other words, even in death, even into the ground, beyond the Spirit, Lord, you are there. So, the point being, Jonah's not dead, But he is feeling the point of death. So, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. He is saying that this great fish is going to be the death of me. And you heard my voice. From the depths of hell, I called on God and He answered me. In other words, He is saying, From the point in which I was furthest away from God. Now, He's not far from God's presence. He's far from feeling God's presence. You remember what Jonah was trying to get to? God said, Go to Nineveh. Jonah said, And He heads off to Tarshish to flee from God's presence. And now He's feeling it. And the thing that Jonah wanted, Jonah didn't want too much, did he? By the way, let me just make that relevant. Everything you're chasing that's keeping you away from obedience, if you were to get all of it, you'd feel empty. Jesus Christ is the only thing that can satisfy. You can chase and chase and chase and chase and chase the thing that you want, but when you get all of it, You wish you had something else. That's where Jonah's at. Jonah has zero options. I don't even know if Jonah could scratch his head or not. I don't know how much room he has. But he has no options. He is far from the place of least hope. He's got zero control of anything, no independence. And in that moment, I cry out to you. In other words, he is saying, Lord, I'm done. You ever felt that way? You ever felt just empty? Just at the end of it all? I would just encourage you, the quicker you can get there, the better off you'd be. I mean it. I mean, we wrestle a lot to to maintain control. And when you realize it, that you have any, it's such a freeing thing to know that the Lord is all you need. I mean, Jonah is running away from the Lord and when he realizes he's not in control... It's liberating. How hard we try to maintain control and influence. And we start manipulating and manipulating and manipulating. From the place where I was most miserable and had no way to contribute to myself. From the place where I was helpless and desperate. That's the place that he finally decides to call out to the Lord. Perhaps, maybe, I'm guessing, that you've experienced a similar place. Is that in your life. Maybe right now, if you could come to the end of yourself, you would say, Lord, from the, from the pits of hell in my marriage, I cry out to you. In the pits of hell in my finances. I, I, Lord, I have so beyond the ability to control it anymore. I have nothing left. If you will cry out to the Lord, that's the perfect prayer. That's the perfect prayer to pray. A lot of times I think we we like to to think that God helps those who help themselves. If you try really, really hard, maybe God will favor you with just a little bit extra that you need to get through it. God helps desperate people, not the independent people. As long as you're trying to control it, He won't. Alright, so, there's where he's at. I called out, so I'm going to get you to help me. Look back at verse 2, okay? I called out to the Lord out of my distress. What's the next two words? Next two words. And he, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. What's the next two words? Boy, those are great, great words. And God, when I needed Him the most, when I had nothing left, I cried out to God. If God were fair, what would God do? God would say, I'm going to flee from the presence of Jonah. (laughs) But God's not fair. You better be grateful because fair would already have you in hell. God's not fair. But He's good. And when Jonah least deserved the Lord, the Lord was most obvious. It's rich stuff there. When, when, jo- when, Jonah, when Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, Jonah had everything to offer. Reputation, ability. He wasn't in a fish. But when he had nothing to offer, when he had nothing to offer, he deserved it to least. That's when God was there for me. That's what Jonah says. Look at Psalm 138.7. You don't have to turn there, but it says, Though I walk... In the midst of trouble, that word is Sarah. Though I walk through the the pain, the struggle, the tension, the distress, you will revive me. In my distress and the agony, as if I'm being squeezed and pressured, not unlike the birth canal, I called upon God and He answered me. You ever heard people say, yeah, "You know, getting the life squeezed out of you"? Jonah is actually getting the life squeezed into him. You look at verse one and two together. I think it's even prettier. You 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 would do this in Hebrew; these would all go it's poetic language, so it would all go together. But you're going to see the word Sarah and the travail, the stress, the sheol hell. Very literally, if you look at what it's saying, he's saying, "I am as good as dead." I am as good as dead, I have nothing to offer, I am emptied of myself. There is no reason in the world that God would want anything that I have to offer. And this is the perfect candidate to be born again. In fact, you can't be born again until you come to the end of yourself. This is a beautiful story of what happened in my life. When you come to the end of yourself and you have nothing left to offer and no no answer that you have makes sense to your vain questions and your sin mounts up and your guilt mounts up and your shame mounts up and your fear, your pain, your your embarrassment and all of those things kind of isolate you off to yourself. When you have nothing and everything's been stripped, that's when God gives us new birth. Some of you aren't getting your way right now. You wish things were different. If you'd have worked harder, if you'd have been smarter, better looking, born into a different family. You just aren't getting your way. But you haven't, but you're not helpless yet. There's a very important word for for those who are helpless and don't know it. It's Slow learners. (laughs) You're still trying to contribute to your answer. As long as you're trying to contribute to your answer, you can't see it. That's what Jonah teaches us. You're still trying to push. You're still trying to direct. You're still trying to manipulate. And all the while, you're missing what God is really trying to accomplish in your life. So... Psalm 138, 7. And I, I, I'll go back to it again. But though I walk in the midst of trouble, Sarah, you will revive me. Not restore, because if God were, if you come to the end of yourself when you're in the midst of trouble and God were to restore you, it's, it's like you just start back where you were before the trouble. Well, what's that going to mean? Well, if I'm walking and there's a pit right here and I'm in the middle of the pit and God restores me, He moves me back here, what, what am I going to do again? Guess what's still in front of me? The pit. It also doesn't say that when I'm in the midst of distress, that the Lord will deliver me. Because the Lord could deliver me. He could, now hold on to this, He could poof me from here to somewhere else. He could deliver me. But there's just going to be another pit. I mean, if He delivers Jonah... Well, what good would that be? Jonah hasn't had a change of heart. So when you're in the midst of trouble, you need to remember that what God wants to do is to give new birth to you that brings revival. You revive me, Lord. That means that He gives us a whole new being. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for restoration. I don't, I'm not looking for, to go back as if it never happened. I'm looking to be revived, to be, to be given life again. New life. You see, so many people are walking around not realizing that their spirits are dead. Dead. We're carrying around the spirit of Adam, which is fallen, but the spirit of God is available to us. But it's, been, it's dead. From the first sin of Adam, it was dead. And we're walking and we're living and we're deciding and we're directing and we're manipulating in the spirit of Adam. And it all leads to death. But if we will allow the Lord to revive the spirit of God within us, we can walk with vitality and life Through the pit. I don't have to be delivered from the pit. I can minister to the glory of God in the pit. In a bad marriage. In poverty. In homelessness. In ruined reputations. The glory of God is all upon me. So there's not a scenario where I can't minister to the glory of God. But if I'm only pro-blame, I'm going to have a significant problem making it through this life. You know, if if I... Let's talk about that. So Jonah... In the New Testament, there's a man named Philip. And Philip is standing one day and poof! He's standing in another place. And that's a pretty incredible story. God can poof people. I believe it. I believe it. You believe it? He can poof people if He wants to poof people. So... I would think that when God looks at Jonah and says, Jonah, go up to Nineveh. Go up to Nineveh, arise. Go to Nineveh and preach to them. Instead of getting Jonah's permission or Jonah's obedience, God just just poofing. I mean, one moment Jonah is standing in Israel, the next moment he's in the city center. That would be great. It's a long way, by the way. Saving a lot of time, a lot of money. It really comes down to stewardship. Is really what it comes down to. No, no. So God is is allowing Jonah to flee His presence because God's up to something much bigger than Jonah's message. God is up to transformation of Jonah. Jonah's walking to Joppa. God could have poofed every directional sign. Joppa this way, twenty five hundred miles. It's not really. It's that way. No, nope. God doesn't doesn't do that. He could have got onto the boat. He could have went down into the boat and God could have poofed the waves to keep him right on the harbor. We don't know why we can't get away, but we just can't get away. We've got mechanical breakdown with the ship. We can't get off the port. Jonah finally gives up and says, well, I'm going to just do what God wants me to do. Poof. God could, have, God, God could have done that. I think when they get out there on the water and Jonah's down at the bottom and the captain comes down and says, hey, wake up, pray to your God. Jonah could have said, "Whoa! Oh, what have I been doing? Lord, poof! No. Or, or when they finally throw Jonah over the boat, one of the sailors could have said, ah, Life preserver! Somebody throw him the life preserver! And God could have just kept Jonah out there for days and days and days in that hot baking sun until he learns his lesson. But he doesn't. I mean, God sends ravens to feed Elijah, right? I mean, let's send the eagles to Jonah, pick him up off that life preserver, and carry him all the way to Nineveh and drop him. Poof! There's a thousand ways that this story could have went better than the bottom of the ocean in a fish, right? God could have done it any number of ways and they all could have even looked natural. But God used supernatural ways to accomplish this. Now I want you to notice that in chapter 1, everything is down. All right. Now you go back and look at it. You can tear it apart if you want. But Jonah is told to arise and go to Nineveh. But he goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the boat. He goes down into the boat. He gets thrown over the boat, down into the water. He gets into a fish, down to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, everything is down, down, down. And I don't think that's an accident. Now, for us, it's a little easy for me to make fun of Jonah. Because I can see the phases God is working through. It's easy to see the phases. Jonah, go. No, I'm not going. Jonah gets on the ship. Phase one, God sends a storm. Storm doesn't work. Phase two, God sends a captain. You need to pray. He doesn't pray. Phase three, sailors have mercy on him and don't throw him overboard. Phase four, When they do throw him overboard, God sends a fish. Phase 5, the fish gets a stomachache and throws him up on shore. Now you can see all of these different places where God is at work. Now one of the things that I want you to understand is it would be easy for us to feel, if we're Jonah, abandoned. Obviously Jonah does feel abandoned. Is Jonah abandoned? God is at work in every phase. So when you are in pain and when you are under pressure, these are not proofs of God's absence. These are proofs that God is at work. And I know that when you want, you know what you want it to look like, and you can see it all mapped out, and you pray and you pray, God's got my attention, I didn't get my way. I cry out to you in my distress, Lord. And in my distress, here's what I want the answer to look like. And when God doesn't do that in phase one, we get upset and angry, don't we? It's because we haven't come to the end of ourself and relinquished control to Him. When you get upset at God's phases, it's only because you don't understand God's character and nature. You may be wrong about what the finished product looks like. You may not. But you most certainly will not agree with God's phases. Because phase one, to get to phase three, you have to go through phase two. Now, I just want to quickly highlight this. You may need ten phases to get where God wants you to be. And when you get there, you will need the lessons of every phase that you would have never agreed to. God works in phases. God works in phases. Often, God works in phases. So, whenever you're not getting your way, you need to, you need to thank the Lord and don't overlook the little things that God is doing along the way. It's funny, there are days I sit and uh, I know many of you don't don't know me as as well as I'd like, but I said and I just think and you know you don't know my wife. I've got the I've got the absolute best wife in the world. My kids are the awesomest kids I know. Uh and I just, there's times I just sit and I think about pastoring this church and living in this city, and the, I just think, man, I just don't think life could get any better. I mean, I, I just can't imagine life getting any better. And then there are other days where not one thing works right. Not to mention the things not working right, but the feelings don't match the truth. And you feel lonely you feel betrayed, you feel abandoned, you feel isolated. Nobody understands. Worse than that, they don't care that they don't understand. You care more about their problems than they do. And you think, I just don't think. And I know you you say, Pastor, you don't have a clue. You you don't have a clue. (laughs) Uh I mean, we can both say that, I guess. But sometimes I just think life couldn't get any worse. I think I'm going to give up. Just walk away. It'd be easier. It'd be easier. I think about. I would love to be a uh, sheriff in the uh, like Wyoming, Colorado, one of those little small towns. I I just love to do. I don't want to be the sheriff and the pastor. I think that would be like <laughs> awesome. And if I, I I just want to wear a I want to wear a badge and a gun and a Bible. I want my name on my belt. Sheriff, pastor. I don't know if it's pastor, sheriff, or sheriff, pastor. I guess it depends on what day of the week it is. But anyway, sometimes you feel like you're just right on the edge of breakthroughs. I'm really serious about the pastor, sheriff stuff. You guys want to play in church, So you? you feel like you're right on the edge of breakthroughs, and then right before the breakthrough, what do you experience? Setbacks. And then you have nothing but setbacks and just to the point of giving up. And just when you're at the point of giving up, breakthroughs. God's presence shows up. God, He leads us. He teaches us. He redirects us. He guides us. He heals us. He corrects us. He convicts us until He gets us and leads us into His perfect will. Don't forget to embrace the phase that you're in. Because God is at work. It really does, how you process that, and I have to remind myself of that often, that how you process that has a great deal to do with whose presence you choose to be in. Whose company you really want to keep. Because if you want to please people, you're going to be disappointed a lot. But if you live for the pleasure of Jesus Christ, you never have to forfeit that. And it also comes down to to who do I really trust? Is God enough? Is God's plan sufficient? Is his grace sufficient? Is he truly worthy of me? All right, so verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. Those of you who know me very well know how difficult it is for me to do four verses at a time, but here we go. You ready? He says, Oh God, you hurled me into the deep, right? You hurled me into the deep. You cast me. Into the deep. Now, technically, it was the sailors who did that, but Jonah is having spiritual epiphanies and he is realizing that this was not the sailors' fault. This was the Lord's doing. You hurled me into the deep to the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. And then he said, I have been banished or I'm driven from your sight. Which I think is really interesting because that's what he wanted when he left Israel. To be banished from the presence of God. When it was his decision, when it was his doing, when he was exercising free will, he said, I don't want to be in the presence of God. But now that God has separated his presence from Jonah, Jonah's like, you've banished me from your presence. But then the, the best part, yet, even though, Lord, you were right to separate me from yourself. Now, Jonah's really wrong here because God has not done that, even though God would be right to do it. He says, yet I will look again or consider your temple. Now, if you remember, it's a, so the goal was Nineveh, not Israel, that he was already in Israel. So he doesn't go to Nineveh, he goes far, far away. But when he is repenting and coming to himself again, he says, Even though your presence, you've banished me from your presence, Lord, I will still look at your temple. What's at the temple? This temple's in Jerusalem, not on the goal, not on the mission field, but the temple. Inside the deepest part of the temple is the Holy of Holies. That's where the very presence of God was manifested. What Jonah is saying is, the thing I wanted was to flee your presence, and now that I'm away from your presence, I'm going to focus on your presence with everything I have. That's what happens when you seek the Lord through the stress, the tension. You are able to experience reviving. Reviving. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my head. Verse 6 says, all the way to the roots of the mountains. That's to the deepest part. I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me in. You know what that, I mean, that's pretty obvious. It's just talking about like a jail cell. I'm stuck in here forever. This is not a guy who thinks he's getting out. He feels like he's in this fish. He's looking through the bars of the teeth. I'm in here forever. There's no physical hope. And then he says, and there it is. Boy, it's beautiful too. But you, oh God, you brought my life. Now, when he interacts with God and God begins to be more in the story, he's recalling to his mind who God is. Remember chapter 1, down, 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 deeper, 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 less, less, less. But when he interacts with God, it's you have brought me up from the pit. We start we, when you when you start being able to recall the Lord, you start moving in a different direction, up from the pit. Look at verse six. But you, O God, brought me up from the pit. Verse 7, my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came up to you in the Hebrew. Prayer's coming up. Hope's coming up. Fish is coming up. (laughs) Listen, never forget the but God moments in your life. You, You need to keep a good journal when you can think about all the distresses. We've all been through tons of them. And at the end of every distress, you should have a but God And whenever you can come to your... Remember, never forget the coming. Whenever you're in a distress, just know that right around the corner there is a but God. And that's where we get hope. And never forget yesterday's distress and yesterday's but God. And that's where our faith lies. Every distress has a but God. God. If you will keep him in mind. Verse 7, he says, I remembered you. Now, obviously, this is a Hebrew word a zakar, which just means call to mind. It doesn't mean that he's forgotten who God is. It means that he has not been bringing God to the forefront of his thoughts. He's been thinking about Jonah. He's been thinking about ease, comfort, reputation. He's been thinking about himself a lot. I didn't forget God yeah every time that you're not leaning on Him you are forgetting Him in every moment we ought to be calling Him to mind when you're doing life without the power of God you are forgetting Him when you are trying to do the mission of God without the glory of God that's your own power and you might be doing good things but you're not doing God things And when you're not doing God things, you're going down, 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 and it is a slow fade. And every disobedience gets easier and easier to the point where you don't even hear God calling anymore. Sometimes we try to do our own thing and justify it as God's thing. The next verse, he really shifts his tone I know we have already read it, but he's declaring a, a prophetic truth. I'm, I'm almost finished. I want you to hear what he says. It's at the deepest point of his life. He is warning the readers. He sat down and wrote this. He's warning his readers. And this is what he says in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Here, here's what he says. Don't do what I did don't do what I did whatever you do don't run from God whatever you do don't neglect him don't disobey him here's how he says it those who cling to worthless idols to vain idols and I know what you're saying well we don't really worship idols anymore of course we do we just don't carve them What's Jonah's idols? Jonah's idols was prejudice. He thought his race and his people were better than everybody else. Jonah's idol was himself because that's what he worshipped even more than the God he said he worshipped. Jonah's life was eat up with idols and here I know that because here he proves it. And by the way, that word idolatry or vain idols, it means vanity, it means emptiness. It's where they got the word vapor or breath It means that when your breath is being used for anything other than the glory of God, it's vanity. Everything you're chasing in this world is vanity, it's all worthless. You don't have to have it carved out of wooden stone. Our hearts, our hearts themselves, are prone to vain idols. Because we can see it, we can touch it, we can feel it, we can experience it immediately, but we've got to to set our treasures up in heaven. We can't see them, we can't touch them, we can't benefit them from them today. Here's what Jonah says. If you're going to set your heart on vanity, on empty breaths, then you need to be ready to pay the consequences. And that's probably the hardest part of this whole message Forsake their hope of steadfast love. That that steadfast love, that's all one one phrase in Hebrew, forsake steadfast love. It's the Hebrew Hesed. And what it means is, is to is pursuing kindness. It's really close to the to the Greek word grace. But it's a it's a love that chases. So if you're going to chase after vain idols, and for Jonah. Jonah is running away from ministry, calling himself the great prophet of God with great renown. And everybody loves Jonah's ministry. But even in regard to that, Jonah is chasing after Jonah. And it's all empty. All the while, he's being chased by God's steadfast, loving kindness. And if you're going to chase idols, you're not going to be aware of God's love that's chasing you. But the moment that you stop chasing the dreams and the hopes and the comfort and the ease of this world, God's love will catch up to you. What Jonah is telling us here in verse 8 is you can't be aware of His chasing if you're chasing something else. You can't do both of them. Listen, we call ourselves Christians. You can't chase after the world your own dreams. You can't be pro-you And experience his steadfast, loving pursuit of you. All right, verse nine, then we'll be done. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. So a minute ago, sacrifice was difficult, it's a burden, but now it's with thanksgiving. You see what the fish did? The, pain, the most painful experience of Jonah's life transformed his heart. If God would have poofed him, he wouldn't have experienced transformation. Quit praying for God to poof your life away. Because it's going to change your heart. The stress and the pains, the Sarah's of your life. And if you're married to one, I didn't mean it like that. I don't know what, what he vowed, but he said, what I have vowed, I'll pay. We, we don't know what he vowed. I, I would imagine he had three days in that fish. I would say, Lord, I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll love whoever you want me to love. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I can just imagine it because I've said it. Just get me out of this. is in the bottom of this fish, and if he were in Israel, he'd know what to do. I want to know that I'm right with God. I know what I would do if I'm in Israel. I'd make sacrifices, those innocent animals, and I'd sacrifice them and I'd take their blood and I'd feel better about myself. Or I'd go into the temple and I'd, I'd pay extra money and I'd, I'd get God's favor. Or I'd go do good things for widows and orphans. Or I'd go and I'd do this and I'd do this good thing and I'd, I'd say, boy, I'm doing a, God's really got to be pleased with me. I've had a heart change and look, it's obvious because I'm doing all these things. It is really hard to impress yourself when your hands are stuck beside you in the gastrointestinal processes of a fish. I mean, this guy's got not one thing to offer the Lord. And he's talking about being filled with thanksgiving. Keeping his promises. Changing his life. Whew! Salvation comes from the Lord, he said. You got nothing to offer the Lord? Perfect candidate for his grace. As long as you think you have something to offer, you don't. The New Testament says it this way It is by grace that you have been saved, never, ever, ever by your own works, lest you would brag about it. And I know me, I would. Salvation comes from the Lord. Even David, in Psalm 51, when David has sinned, these egregious sins, and he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation doesn't belong to us. Because we didn't do anything to earn it. We don't possess it. It's the Lord. He lends it to us. Until that day of judgment. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's where Jonah gets... And Jonah gets to that point where he recognizes that he is empty, and this is what he says: "Here's my life, Lord. You can take it now." Immediately, immediately, that fish is above the water and. Now, listen. If ever there is a good opportunity for a poofing, <laughs> that would have been a great one. I mean, if I'm going to, if I, I mean, three days. I mean, you have. I mean right i mean inside a fish i mean fish eat fish right i mean this is terrible and and jonah is now on the dry land i mean if you're at least going to throw me up throw me up in the ocean that way i can swim it off of me till i get to the shore i mean i'm on dry land now sticky sand sticking all to me and now i'm having to walk up to people and say hey can i get a shower i can borrow <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> been a fish three days. I don't believe you. That's ridiculous. Sometimes the pain of the transformation of the growth, the change of the internal character, produces some residual things that you have to deal with. Yeah, God, of course, could have produced Jonah clean and in his own mind. But he doesn't. Sometimes there's things, there's residue that has to continue with us until we get it all. You know what? I, you've been around fish. Sometimes you can wash, and it, that smell, that smell still don't it lingers. Sometimes it does, but every time, I think Jonah smelled it. He could just God is so good to me. I'm telling you, there's been times in my life where I've had whale blubber all over me and it lasts and lasts and lasts. And I never want to be stuck in the bottom of a fish at the bottom of the sea again. But I can tell you, when I am reminded of the pain that came out of that, I never want to go through that again. But God is so good to me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And I just ask that you would bless your people. Help us to know that wherever we are and whatever we're running to, Lord, is empty compared to your presence. But we know that your loving kindness pursues us. Lord, I pray that this morning we would learn to stop and be satisfied with Jesus Christ. Jonah may have, against his own will, laid down his life for pagan sailors, But Lord, today we were reminded of Jesus Christ who laid down His life entirely for men and women like us. Lord, today we thank You for that mercy. The grace that comes from Jesus Christ. How could we offer any less than everything? Because we have gained everything from You. So Lord, we're all over the place in this room this morning. There are some who have never made a decision to follow you. I pray that this morning we would be warmed by knowing how much you love us and how much you chase us. I pray that this morning those who are are running in rebellion would respond to your love and lay down their fear. Those that are running from ministry, Lord, would say yes. Lord, those that are crying out in despair because of the hell they're in, Lord, I pray that You would hear our cry and You would answer us and begin the process of our phases back to not deliverance, not restoration, but revival. Help us to experience transformation, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray we hope that this message has brought you closer to finding and following jesus if you need help finding or taking your next step send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc